This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blank, session number 78. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. The most popular podcasts that I record are the ones where people do their first deal, or even better yet, the ones who quit their job through multifamily passive income. And today, I have one of the latter, Joseph Goslin, who, within two and a half years of deciding to start multifamily, had replaced his income and is still working because he likes to do it and he continues doing deals. Uh, but he didn't start there. He shares a lot of the frustrations and challenges that he had early, early on, brokers not returning his phone calls, and how he overcame that. He had, he had a lot of setbacks. It took him two years to do his first deal, and I really tried to get people to do it in the first 12 months. He took him two years, took him way longer, had some frustrations, and he stuck with it. He just never gave up, and he just continued to plow forward and got it done. And then, as the law of the first deal says, the second deal comes in rapid, almost automatic succession, and he's uh, replaced his income. It's just a magical story uh, with twists and turns and setbacks and grit Joseph kind of saw through it. And I'm going to have him explain to you that journey, and hopefully you'll be inspired by it. Here's Joseph Goslin. Hey, Joseph, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I was born and raised in Israel. I came to the United States somewhere in 07, and I am an IT professional. I'm a senior manager in a software company, and I'm also a passionate real estate investor. Well, I'm sure it wasn't always that way. How did you get started with real estate in the first place? So it's kind of like the same story of everybody reading uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was in college back then, and my wife and I was living in a uh, we're living in a small apartment, and we kind of started looking at, okay, where do our life go? We've been going out for a while together, so we decided to purchase a home for us right after we got married, and we ended up looking around. It was just way too big for just the two of us, so we said, okay, that in combining with reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, say, let's rent it out, and that's where the magic started, right, when you start seeing those paychecks. You rented out the house that you bought or a room or the whole house or what did you do? It was an apartment. We rented out the whole apartment. It was a very big one, a five bedroom. Yeah. And we stayed in the small apartment we were renting and we were enjoying the difference. So you got a little taste of the real estate. What happened after that? So in that was 05, 06. And then in 07, we moved over here. And then we looked around and we recognized that it just the collapse, everything started unraveling. And we said, that's probably the best market we'll ever going to have in order to make our real estate career and real estate investing. So we both got licensed and we started actively hunting for deals and we sold our apartment back home and moved here all the money and purchased whatever we could put our hands on. So what did you guys buy? So our first purchase was a duplex. We bought it for like $180,000, put another twenty thirty into it, and then it's been one of our best investments on the single world so far. Rented both sides. It's cash flowing uh, great. Just last year, we refinanced it at $400,000 value. That's amazing. And where was this? It's in Plano, Texas. That's where we live. Yeah, it's fantastic. So you bought a duplex, and to you, the duplex just seemed like a rental house. You didn't think much of it. 
Uh, no. no, it was just another rental. Yeah. Yeah. And what'd you do after that? So after that, we started looking around. We purchased a few more single family and. Then we had kind of like, okay, 2012 came in and the market started going up and the numbers just stopped aligning. So it was a lot harder to find a deal. Plus, we were doing careers and kids and all that life basically that happens. And then our last purchase was in 2013. And ever since, we couldn't find a property that just fits with our numbers. They were now, just not you, cash flowing. When you came to the States and you did this duplex, why were you doing the real estate in the first place? And you got a little taste of real estate when you first went and you rented out your thing. But what was in your head at the time? What kind of goal did you have? Why were you doing it? So I have a ultimate goal to write one of those big cardboard checks uh, that you see on TV. <laughs> I'm going to write a million dollar check to Children's Hospital. That's my ultimate goal. Right. And I've been driving towards that. But in the way to that, there is, of course, early retirement and comfortable living and not having to answer to anyone at, you know, go do this, go do that as a boss. So it's a combined thing for us. It was obviously a wealth building strategy. Did you at the time when you got started with real estate, were you trying to quit your job or is it something you just want to drink on the side? Yeah. What did you want to achieve and at what time frame did you want to do it? For starters, I'm not a big believer in the stock market, right? And you got to remember, we came in, it was a perfect storm, right? It's 2007, mid-2007, things just started unraveling. And what we saw was everything collapse around us, right? So right. tangible assets like real estate, Trump's stock market, which also blew up in 08. And so that was just our investment strategy at the beginning. And then once you start seeing things and really... With real estate, that doesn't get discussed a lot in the investment communities. You don't really start building equity and building wealth after you have at least five years worth of mortgage. In the first five years, just the way amortization works, you barely chip into your equity. And then after five years, you start seeing your net worth grow a lot more every year. So we might start it as a, this is just an investment thing. But then we realize, wait a second, that's a real wealth builder. And this can help us get free and be financially free. Yeah, so and it started It goal. started as a replacement for a stock market. You're like, I have some savings and I want to I get some yield on that. So it started with that. And then you're, you're starting to scratch your head going, wait a minute, it could be more than that. You just mentioned financial freedom. What did that mean to you at the time when you said, huh, financial freedom? What did that look like for you? So for me, financial freedom says that I get to do what I want to do. It does not mean sit on the couch and watch TV. It means I don't have to be at a certain place at a certain time. It means that if I want to go for a month and work from a different location, I can do that. It means that I don't have to worry about bills or anything else because in my background, I come from a single family parent. We went through some really rough times and I have that hunger and that drive in me to make sure that doesn't happen to my kids. So that's also another thing that drives me a lot. So you had at this point dabbled, you know, real estate as an investment. And at one point you said, huh, this could be more. At one point, did you start thinking about multifamily? So about two and a half years ago, that's where I had a kind of realization moment. That duplex that I just talked about a few minutes ago had foundation issues that had to be repaired. And when we did that, it's in, built in 1978. So when you raise that foundation, all the cast iron plumbing underneath it collapsed. And the same mm -hmm. year, we had some unfortunate luck with that property to have a hail damage 
and a water heater break and a garage door break. And I had to write $40,000 worth of checks out of my own pocket. So that wiped away five, six years of cash flow. And I realized, well, that's not sustainable, right? The whole idea of this thing generates money every month is nice, but then you have those big ticket items showing up every once in a while. And if I was not conservative enough to keep a reserves account mm. to be able to pay those checks, what would I do? What would a normal person pull $40,000 out of? That's where I said, okay, I got to look around. What else is available? And I'm a very analytic person. So I looked at pretty much everything, whether it's on the real estate world and medical and retail and office and so on, all the way up to annuities and day trading and Forex and commodities. So multifamily is the one that kind of I got connected the most, not to say that the other ones are not as good, but Why? that's the one that made, made sense to me. Yeah. Why did it make sense to you? So for started, it keeps the same principles, the same advantages real estate has. Huge tax advantages in the form of depreciations and multifamily has even more aggressive depreciation strategies. You have a business, you have an opportunity to take the same cash flow, somebody else pays your equity. That's the basics of real estate and they apply to multifamily. But there's also a huge add-on to that in terms of you have one location to go to, you have spread your risk across multiple units. So if I have a vacancy on my single, I pay the bills, I pay the utilities, I pay the mortgage, I pay the insurance, I pay somebody to lease it up, right? But when I have 100 units, well, 10 can be off, 90, 10, and still pay the bills, still pay the mortgage, still pay for everything. So risk reduction was a huge factor. One insurance, one policy, right? Being able to buy... I don't know, 10,000 square foot of carpet instead of 3,000 square foot of carpet. And all these things add up to show a lot more value in multifamily than I could get just by scaling single families. Man, you sound like you created a, a column and you did a side by side, man. That's very, 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 you are very yeah. an analytical. Did I mention I'm analytical. Now, yeah. now, do you remember when you decided that you want to do multifamily? Do you remember the moment in time when that happened? You said, okay, I'm going to do this. Yeah, that was about two and a half years ago. Like I said, I went through an extensive research and I said, well, that's it. So the way I operate is I started researching everything. I read every book on the subject. I listened to every podcast and I love your podcast as well. There are some others that I've been listening to, not just necessarily multifamily specific, but Bigger Pockets, for example, has a lot of different kind of real estate strategies. And that's another thing that you listen to all those different strategies and there's a lot of really cool toys out there to, ooh, I want to do that. But at the end of the day, most of the really successful guys, they all had multifamily. Mm. So I believe that success leaves clues and, and I try to follow that. That's fantastic. So talk about your first deal. So you're, you're deciding multifamily, you're doing a bunch of stuff, you're listening to podcasts, you're educating yourself. First deal, how did that go down? It starts with a lot of frustrations, right? Because multifamily... <laughs> It's a little bit of a big boys club and it's really hard to get into and stick your leg through the door. And I reached out to brokers and of course, nobody replied and nobody Aww. addressed me. <laughs> and you know what? In a sense, I understand why, right? Because for them, it's a probability game. They have maybe three or four deals a year and they want to make sure that when they present a buyer to the seller, it's the highest probability of closing. 
which is kind of like, I like to call this like a snowball business. Once you do the first one, you'll see more coming in the door. So I wasn't having very much luck with the brokers and I got frustrated at some point. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to go out and source it myself. Did multifamily marketing. I did postcards. I did letters. I, I did phone calls. I did whatever I had to do in order to find someone that is willing to sell. Interesting. So, wow. So you really bypassed the brokers, did your own marketing. And what happened? I talked to a few owners along the way and multifamily owners are usually not your average person, right? They're more sophisticated. So I did find a guy, he was in his 80s, has been a custom home builder for years, and he built a 22-unit apartment building. And we started talking and said, yeah, I might be interested in selling. And then I went out and I met him. And it was really about building report. It was about getting to know each other, getting comfortable with each other. And then when that started happening, and I like that location, that property was, and I love the property because he built it like only a custom home builder knows how to build, right? Everything is built beautiful and like a tank. So uh, we started talking and we agreed to do a seller financing transaction, which really helped me without having to qualify for a first deal with a, a big lender, right? That was a really great deal to start with. Uh, I'm lucky to find it. Well, That's fantastic. How did you find it? Did you find it off one of your, your letters, your postcards, or how did you find this yeah. the seller? It was one of the postcards, and he called me. Yeah, and, that's, and that's I, I say I got lucky, but there was a lot of work leading to that lucky moment. Well, that's right. I mean, I'm sure was, this wasn't the first property you looked at. No, absolutely not. I saw a few frogs along the way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Now, so you got seller financing, which allowed you to bypass the banks. You still had to put some money down. How did you solve that? So that's what I mentioned earlier. We refinanced last year the duplex, and that's been the majority of the cash we had to put down. I refinanced one more property, and that's how we got the money. Right. So yeah, there's this duplex that you bought earlier, a few years earlier, and and that had appreciated in value. And then you refinanced and used that to to put the money down. So all of a sudden now you own this 20 unit. How did it go? It was great. A few comical transactions along the way, right? So uh, we do a due diligence and we walk every unit. And it's funny, right? But we walked every unit and every one of those tenants had a bigger TV than mine. And I'm buying the building. So, and I don't have like a 14-inch CRT. I got a 55-inch at home and they all had a bigger TV than me. So, it just tells you something a little bit about priorities. From the day we signed the contract to the day we hand over the keys, 23 days. So, that was so fast that- Seller financing, no bank. That's exactly the thing. And and my property management company was so not ready for this, but we kind of took on and, and we ran through that. And we were able to bring a lot of value just by bringing in a professional property management because he was kind of self-managing this thing and had a realtor to help him. They were overcharging him. He was letting tenants pay on the 15th or 20th. So all we did was come in and bring some value just by operation efficiency. And that's that's amazing. Yeah. We we created about I estimate about six to eight hundred thousand dollars worth of value in the first six months of owning that property. Just was taking a professional property management company and just letting them do their job. Yeah, and, and again, you, you don't just let them go, right? You, you always got to manage the management company. But I'm still working full time, and that allows me to do that. We spend an hour a week per property. Now we have more than one with them, and just go over the things. What have we done? What do we need to do? 
what's going on, anything I need to address and move on. And, and just holding accountability really helps drive them to excellence. Now, you bring up an interesting point, Joseph. You said you worked full-time. I hear a lot of people say, well, I have a full-time job. I can't do this. There is some sacrifice. You can't just sit on the sofa, watch TV, and hope that an opportunity will fall on your lap. So, yeah, so there were some sleepless nights, and there were some uh, weekends that I went out and drove some properties and went to look at properties, and I took a day off here and there to do some things. But at the end of the day, I did it. I work in IT, so it's not it doesn't end at 5 p.m. We have deployment nights where we're up till midnight and past that. So it's not like I have way too much spare time on my hands. And I got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old that also require time. And I want to put the time with my kids because it's family and it's most important, right? So just a lot of grind of hard work, but it's doable. I've yeah, done it's, it. It's doable. Absolutely. But you got you got to set priorities. Now Within a short period of time, my understanding is you basically started working on a second deal. Let's talk about that one. Yeah. So like I said earlier, it's a kind of a snowball business, right? So no broker would even return my call until I closed on the first one. Once I closed on the first one, it was like, oh, so you're a closer. You're not just a tire kicker. <laughs> Come take a look at this. Come take a look at that. And I started getting some opportunities from those brokers wasn't the best opportunities they had, right? It was just a few days before we got to the market. Uh, before they went to the market, I got to see that. Well, a few days ahead of the crowd is still better, right? And then through my property management company, I got a lead for a completely off-market deal. And that was 102 units out in Lubbock, Texas. And I recognized the value. And we really had a little bit of an unfair advantage there. Because the property management that we work with had five other properties out in Lubbock. So we knew exactly costs and, and rents and demographics and everything we knew in order to create a really tight underwriting. And we were able to give a, a good offer to the seller, but it was also good for us. So it was a win-win situation there. So you found this through the property manager. It was an off-market situation. They were already familiar with the asset product because they managed a bunch of stuff. Unfair advantage. Amazing, right? And so how did you get into that? You did some analysis. Now, at this point, I think you had run out of money, right? Yeah. It's not like you had another duplex to refinance. That was a problem. How did you handle that? So I didn't completely run out of money, but I definitely did not have $1.4 million we had to raise. So that's where I started looking at a syndication model. And that's already been something that I've learned about, but never actually did. So that was a completely different experience than I had. I had to adjust all my underwriting model to be a lot more sophisticated than the one I needed to buy a property on my own. Because when you buy a property for yourself and I'm fully employed, I don't need cash flow. I don't need a lot of things, right? So I could handle just the capability of buying a big property, even though it does cash flow, but that's a different conversation, right? It's a different underwriting model. Now I have to account for how do I pay my investors and how much can I get them a return on their money? And how do I get some of the profits as the lead of this syndication model? So a whole new different underwriting model that we had to learn in a duck. So what made you think that you could raise this much money? Ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that? Ignorance is a bliss. You don't know what you don't know. You go into it 
And I'll be honest, it's harder than it seems, but again, doable. You got to grind. You got to understand that you're going to go out there and convince people to write you a check for fifty dollars or $100,000. They have expectations, and I had to go through a learning curve in that process of how do you talk to people? Which people do you want to talk to? Which people are a waste of time? And you should see my presentations to investors as it evolved across my first transaction from a completely technical and a lot of numbers and figures into a much more talking about the benefits and talking about what the investor is going to get out of this and how we're going to get them returns and how low risk an investment multifamily apartment is. So there's a lot of learning curve that I had to go there. And I'm guessing a lot of it is because I did it all by myself. That was a pretty big deal to take on by myself. How much time did you have to raise the the money? So we had about 45 days, give or take. And then we extended a little bit more because the lender needed some time. It was a short burst of high energy and a lot of effort. You were on the phone probably a lot, probably freaking out a little bit. Yeah, there were some stressful times. (laughs) I'll be honest. There were some stressful times, but we did make it through and we did talk to people and it kind of, it evolves, right? Because once you get someone to sign on and to actually get you the money, now they're invested in it with you, right? So they will recommend their friends and they will tell them, hey, look, I'm doing this deal with Joseph. This is the returns we're looking for. It's kind of cool. Do you want to listen more? It kind of rolled from that point. Snowballed again, same way. You got the the first guy says, yeah, I'm in for whatever, 50,000. And he tells his two buddies, And all of a sudden, now you have all these people that are interested in, because everybody's looking for yield. Yes. And and that's really one of the main advantages is the banks give nothing today. And the single family, that $50,000 is not going to generate as much as they're going to get a return from a multifamily transaction. And it's definitely a way higher risk and a lot more headache than coming into a syndication deal. So like I said, my presentation evolved around risk and benefits and no headache and you're going to eventually we send them a check in the mail every quarter and they don't have to deal with anything like i said a little bit stressful and we did have you know what i talked to every syndicator they all say the same story almost at the last minute somebody pulls out yeah. right so always you got to shoot a little bit higher than what you want to raise if you want to raise 1.4 you got to shoot for 2 or 2.1 so all these people that pull out in the last minute you got them covered yeah fantastic so how's it working out for you So it's going great. It's only been three months now. We got renovation going full swing, a lot of exterior renovation on this property, but we already painted it up. And last time I was up there a couple of weeks ago, we got a lot of compliments from competition, right? (laughs) It's funny because we kind of, we always look for more properties. So sometimes we'll go out and we'll shop other properties to see what are they offering and so on. And it's always fun to say, hey, I saw this one on this street. They go, yeah, it looks really good. Uh, so it's great to hear that. And we get the same feedback from our residents. And that that's really great to see a community forming together. So when are you going to quit your job, Joseph? I am on paper. I covered all my expenses. But the thing is, because we're just at the beginning of the syndication transaction and we're still heavy on the renovation, we haven't been able to distribute any funds. Our projections are the second quarter of ownership. And then once that starts rolling, I hope that we'll see a lot more of the cash flow that we'll be able to distribute to the investors and to me on the way. So I'll feel more comfortable when we get to that phase. 
Yeah, so it's a little bit of a comfort thing. I think on on pro forma, you're you've already covered your living expenses. So you just you just want to make sure it's stable before you jump ship. Is that right? Yes, exactly. All right, so let me get, let me get this straight. Then the twenty two units you closed two years after you did your duplex. Is that about right? No, I'm sorry. Was- after you decided multifamily. That was in early 2015. and 2016, you did 22 units. That was two years between that time. And then six months later, you closed on 102 units. Is that about right? That's, yeah, six months. Exactly. So two and a half months to replace your income from the moment you decided multifamily. Is that, does that seem a bit surreal to you? Two and a half years. But yeah, it's about taking action. It's about making the sacrifices that you need to do. Like you said, prioritizing these things. And then just go at it. And when you go at it, you can make things happen. Now, it's amazing that it took you a really long time to do your first 22 unit. I mean, you know, when I tell people, you know, you're on a three to five year retirement plan, they, they go like, this is fantastic. You know, I'm on a 20 year retirement plan right now. So three to five years is awesome. But then they get going and they're three months into their journey and they start getting frustrated, right? Now, you took considerably longer than, you know, what is my ideal target of 12 months, right? 12 months from this time you decided to do your first deal and you took considerably longer than that. Now, there must have been a time when you probably were pretty discouraged because things were taking longer, brokers were turning your phone calls. How did you stick with it for that period of time? So, along the way, it wasn't that we weren't doing anything. We did do a lot of underwriting. We did send out LOIs. We actually went under contract on a property. In that period time before between I started and we closed on a 22, but we went in and the property was just with a lot of deferred maintenance, a lot more than we were able to see in on the original tour. And we went back to the seller and said, look, there is about a, a third of the purchase price here in deferred maintenance and work with us a little bit. And they just flat out refused. And unfortunately, there was a broker in the deal uh, representing the seller and they were very young. I'm not going to name the company, right? But they were very young and inexperienced. So they didn't know how to facilitate the conversation well enough. So we had to back out of this deal. And that's just the way I do business. It's math over emotions. I don't get attached to a deal. I don't get excited over the dream. If the numbers don't work, we just walk away. And... So that was a down moment for me, absolutely. And then it's just the way I'm built and nothing's going to stop me, right? I just keep going and I'll drive through every challenge until I get my goal. But that's just my personality. Yeah, it's interesting. You're very innerly driven uh, and you're overcoming challenges. You know, your brokers return your phone call, you resorted to postcards, right? You have this deal and you get so emotionally invested in a deal and then it goes away. It can really crush you. I've seen guys just kind of said, it was too much for me. I was really counting on this deal. It didn't happen and I'm done. And so you did not let any of that stuff stop you. And you kind of stuck with it for what could arguably be a really, really long time. What's interesting about the law of the first deal is that first deal is really hard to do. It takes a really long time. And then the second and third will follow in rapid, almost automatic succession. It took you six months to close on it, which means it took you three months to get this other one. And it kind of just came to you. I mean, you had to like go out of your way to not do that second deal. And and yeah. I, you just told me earlier, you have a third deal that you're pursuing or under contract even? So yeah, so we just got under contract on 28 units. And then it was just kind of fell into our lap. We went to see a different property with a broker. And we told them, well, that's not for us because that one's really low end. We don't do war zones. And... Well, he said, you know what? I might have something for you over there. You want to go see it? And I said, yeah, let's go see it. And then 
I don't know, within three days, we already got the LOI signed and, and we got it through because we had a good motivated seller on the other end. So that one is also going to be a seller financing deal. So that's great. It's kind of like a snowball, right? So we already have five different properties in the pipeline right now that are, mm. we're talking directly to the sellers. There is no brokers in the mix or the brokers let us directly talk to the sellers. So these are off market, haven't been circulated, and we're hoping to get those on the contract soon too. Yeah, fantastic. So what do you think? Let's fast forward three months and it's Q2 and you're like, huh, cash flow is pretty stable. You know, let's say, what are you going to do then? When you kind of say, oh my gosh, I can do whatever I want. I can continue working like I'm doing because maybe I join my job. What do you think you'll do with yourself? So I just recently renewed my real estate license. I figured that I talked to quite a few owners from my marketing efforts because we just blasted 1,300 pieces of mail last week because we, again, brokers and things that are on the market is not really working out for our underwriter model. So we got to source these deals ourselves. And I want to be able to tell those sellers, well, I can't pay you this price if they're asking too much, but I can find you someone that will. So maybe I'll transition to the brokerage side of things. I'm definitely going to continue on the acquisition side because I love doing what I do. I love the operation efficiency. I love working with my property management company, which is amazing. Mm. And I love solving things in a different that they haven't done. So I'll give you an example. Our property management company has over 35 years of experience. And they do things a certain way. And every once in a while, I find an opportunity to kind of take them a, a notch up, right? So I know you've always done this, but let's think a little bit outside the box and take a look over here. And for me, it's like Olympic athletes, right? They're the top percentage of athletes in the world, right? But they also have coaches. Do the coaches better than them at what they do? No. But it's about holding accountability. It's about getting operation efficiency, looking outside the box to tell them, you know, here's 3% more efficiency and that's how an Olympic athlete gets the goal. That's how I treat the way I work with my property management company. You actually really enjoy the activity as well. Yeah. Um, now, if you could have a conversation with your younger self, maybe in 2000, I don't know, three or four, what would you tell yourself? Well, if I could tell myself 2008 is the bottom, buy everything you can, that's <laughs> awesome. But All right. Aside from that. <laughs> yeah. If that's out of the way, I would tell myself, skip the singles uh, learning curve, go straight to multifamily. If I had the knowledge I have right now, Aside from the fact that it's the bottom, back in 09, 08, I would probably be owning and controlling thousands of units by now, just because of all the opportunities that there were along the way between 09 and now. Not to say there's no more opportunities because we're still buying. It's a different market. Now, what advice do you have for someone who's like, you know, that's, that's interesting, Joseph. Uh, multifamily does sound interesting, but you know, I don't have any experience or I don't have the, the money, right? So what advice do you have for someone like that? One of the biggest lessons learned I had from my first indication was don't do it again alone. Just going at it all by yourself is a lot of effort and, and sometimes very frustrating and you don't have anyone to share that frustration with. So partner up with someone or get a mentor that can help and guide you through certain things that can give you realistic expectations. Hey, in order to get a million dollars, you're going to have to talk to this many people. When you know to set your expectation, you don't get frustrated that easy. And that's really important. And there's a lot of ways to find mentors. You can 
always think about it in a way of how can I bring value to them, right? If I can find someone that I can bring value in, and I have a mentor and I approached him and I said, you know what? I'll do underwriting for you. Look, I got a very extensive underwriting model. Send me whatever you want. I'll underwrite for you. I'll look at deals. If you need boots on the ground in Texas, I'm here. Just let me know where to go. I'll tour the property for you, right? And that's the really the way you want to go at it. And then it comes back. If you try to bring value, it comes back to you. Yeah, that's great. I really appreciate you uh, sharing your story. I'm just amazed at what you've done in you know, that two and a half years now. And I'm really looking forward to see what you do moving forward. How can people get a hold of you if they want to get in touch with you? So we have a website for our acquisition company. It's ebgacquisitions.com. E is in elephant, B is in boy, G is in George. And they can reach out through there. I am very active on the bigger pockets. I'm on Twitter, Facebook. I'm easy to find. All you have to do is Google my name. I appreciate it, Joseph. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you for your time. I love Joseph's persistence. I mean, two years is a long time to do anything, especially to do your first deal. There's a lot of guys, you know, who get into it a few months, a year, and then and they just they just kind of wash out. They don't stick with it. And sometimes you're just a foot in front of that gold and you just got to keep digging before you hit it. And that's exactly what Joseph did. And what a great job that he did. I also like the fact that he just didn't accept setback. You know, when brokers don't return your phone calls, there's a variety of ways you can address it. The way he addressed it is going directly to direct mail, which is fantastic. He starts sending out uh, postcards to, to contact the sellers directly. He did all this while working full-time, okay? So, I mean, if you look at all these guests I've had on the podcast who have essentially done their first deal, replaced their income, they're all doing it with a full-time job, all right? If they can do it, you can do it. There's no excuse, really, for you not being able to do this on the side. The raising money part, I love that. It was really pure ignorance. Now, I teach a slightly better process than what he went through, <laughs> right? Where you basically start raising money, getting financial commitments from people long before you get your first deal on a contract. He didn't do that. And it was a lot of stress because of it. And he would certainly do it a little differently next time. But I love it anyway. He just did it, I just I think he said, out of pure ignorance, not knowing any better. He just kind of did it anyway. And he got it done, okay? And that's what it, what it counts. So I love that. I love the creativity that he showed. And uh, I hope that inspired you. Speaking of raising money, this is the single biggest skill that you can develop in getting into multifamily. And if you haven't done it already, go over and grab my free ebook. It's called The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. And you can get it on the website, themichaelblanc.com forward slash ebook. That's T-H-E, Michaelblanc, B-L-A-N-K.com. You can also get it via text message. You text the word secret book to 44222. That's 44222, the word secret book. You can get it via text message as well. All right. So I got a lot of resources on the michaelblanc.com, the free ebook. I got a YouTube. I got the podcast. I got blog articles. And when you run out of the free content, I also have some premium online training and coaching if you feel that's what you need to get to the next level. Thanks so much. Appreciate you guys listening. If you love the show, hop over to iTunes and leave me a review. Love to read them and hear from you. And uh, I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.